Wonderful to be here with you, church, to praise with you and lift the name of Jesus high. I loved how Colin was talking about what that meant, lifting him high in our hearts. And that's really the center of everything, isn't it? That's the center of our lives, that he would be the preeminent one. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is my journey of faith, my journey of not understanding why God was against my sexuality, not being able to feel included in the church, and what Jesus did to unlock salvation in my life. But before we start, I have a personal hashtag. It can be yours too. It's hashtag fabulous, because we're all a bit fabulous, made glorious. And why did I choose this hashtag? Because it sums up the gospel. We were all made in the image of God. Every single one of you in this room was made the image of God. Fabulous, or in the Bible's language, very good or very beautiful. That's what God called us. He was so in love with us. But then we fell. Sin entered. Our desires were broken. Our way of knowing God was broken. We turned to other idols. We turned to worship the creation instead of the creator. And we developed all sorts of different desires in our hearts that are equally as broken. And then Jesus came. He stepped into our human flesh, experienced what it was like in every way, tempted. And he took that humanity and lifted it, died on the cross, lifted it into the heavens and forever humanity has been perfected and been made now not just fabulous, but glorious. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and that's what God wants to do in our lives. Whatever our area of struggle or pain or difficulty, he's going to take us fabulous to glorious. And church, you know, Becoming a Christian for me, I thought meant I had to erase myself. I kind of had to become this completely other thing, didn't have anything to do with original David Bennett. But actually, God doesn't erase who we are. He restores us and transforms that David Bennett, whoever you are, into this glorious new creation. And church, I think we have instilled what I call a theological dualism in the way that we think about ourselves. This kind of like, goodbye, never gonna think about that old horrible person again. And yes, there is an element of that, but there's also an element of that restoration that I wanna talk to you about, that he doesn't just delete these weaknesses, he uses them for his glory. So that's gonna be what I wanna talk about today, anchoring your identity in Jesus Christ. But you know what? I got to a stage in my life where I had no answers anymore. I couldn't understand why I had these desires for the same sex. They weren't changing. I'd been to a thousand services. I'd had deliverance ministry. I've had, you know, it all, <laughs> everything. I'm a Pentecostal, guys. And I really sought God. But you know what he said to me? I'm not, I didn't choose you 
in spite of the fact that you have these weaknesses. I chose you because of them. Because I want to reveal my glory through your weakness. Through your weakness, my strength is perfected. That's what Paul says. And so today, whatever it might be, we're going to talk about that deep place because that is where God is going to manifest his glory in your life. But C.S. Lewis came to a point where he said, God, I don't understand. I'm the greatest apologist of the Christian faith and I don't understand. He said, I have no answers anymore, only the life I have lived. And you know, it gets to a point in our lives where when people are suffering, when people don't know why, we try to come up with answers. Think of Job. He suffers in the Old Testament and all his friends get around him like, it's because he didn't tithe enough. It's because you weren't faithful enough. It's because X, Y, Z, whatever reason it might be, KT, that you might say to your friend, that's why you're suffering. But you know what? The reason Job suffered was because he trusted God. He had faith. And he was a type of Jesus who is to come, the perfect one of faith, who fulfilled the covenant forever so that we could enter the presence of God and know him and have eternal life. How awesome is our God. And so we say in Revelation 12, 11, we say, they overcome the enemy through the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. And we're really good at, in the church with overcoming the enemy with the blood of Jesus. We'll say it straight away. And that's awesome. And it's great, and we know the gospel, that we're justified by faith through the blood of Jesus that he gave himself on the cross. And then there's the second, which is the word of our testimony. But there's a third one that we miss, and it's one that I had to come to understand before I could overcome the enemy in my life. Loving our lives, not as to shrink from death. Jesus says you have to be like a seed that goes into the ground and dies, and then you're raised to new life. And so as this young, angry, atheist, gay activist, I walk into a pub one day, and there's this amazing girl who's put her film into the largest short film competition in the world. I hate Christians. I've had debates with them all my life. I have teared down Christian posters at university and put gay marriage march posters over the top. And she is there, and never in a million years would I think she would be a Christian. These Christians trying to indoctrinate me with this deluded notion of living forever with a first century Palestinian carpenter. What is wrong with them? So I can't have a boyfriend, I can't get married because of that? Like, this is ridiculous. And there she is. And I'm just attracted to her. I'm attracted to something about her. And so we get into this conversation, and she says to me, David, I know it's really hard with your sexuality and everything, but like, have you experienced the love of God? I was like, what? You can experience the love of God? What are you talking, I'm gay. Like, I can't experience the love of God. Like, I'm used goods. She said, no, David. She prayed for me, and I had such an amazing, powerful encounter with Jesus Christ, which I'm not going to tell you about so that you come to the 2.30 session. 
<laughs> but in that pub, I discovered the love of God, and it turned my life 180 degrees upside down. And we can come up with all these answers, and I'm an apologist. I spend my life asking big questions at Oxford University, but it comes to a point where no answer works. But the personal presence of the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ coming around someone saying, you are so loved, you are so cherished, you are God's dear creation, and we aren't going to reject you. We're going to stick through this with you, through thick and thin, you are with us. Because we're all sinners. Not one of us can point to the other one and say, oh, I'm better than you. We, of course there's a time for rebuke. Of course there's a time for correction. Loving correction. But ultimately, we have to carry one another's burdens. And church, we haven't done a good job at carrying the burdens of the LGBTQI community in the church. I was blessed to have an aunt and a mother that loved me so deeply and did that. So sexual identity, okay, in our culture has become an idol. We categorize everyone into these little categories, gay, straight, intersex, transgender, etc. And whilst we need words to communicate the difficulties we struggle with in our bodies, and it's important to be honest and real with God and each other, these identities can get so elevated that they become like mini-gods. And actually, you know what, church? I was reduced. My humanity was reduced down to the constant thing of, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay. I'd be like, hi, my name's David Bennett, I'm gay, and if you have a problem with that, I have a problem with you. Thank you very much, Shaniqua. You know, let's get some sass here. You know, that was kind of how I was. But you know what, church? I was controlled by self-rejection. I knew it was wrong to reject myself because I was gay. I did nothing to deserve the fact that I have those desires. I did nothing. I just developed them. I wasn't abused. I didn't have any of like all those theories that people had to have bad relationship with my father, have a wonderful relationship with my father. They didn't fit. All the answers of the friends of Job, this is why you're gay, didn't work. They failed. And we as the church have gotten around the gay community and said, that's why you're gay, that's why you're gay, that's why you're gay. But you know what? God's not thinking that. God's getting so excited because the glory that he's going to reveal in that person's life is going to be extraordinary. Come on. And that's what he did in my life. I am now studying at the University of Oxford, doing my DPhil in theology, and I'm looking at the subject of desire. I mean, if you think God isn't going to do extraordinary things with your life, if you give your whole self, I'm now celibate. I've given it all to him. He does amazing things in our lives. Come on. So good. I wish I had more time to tell you all the amazing things God has done in my life, but come to the 2.30 service. <laughs> so I want to share a revelation with you, church, that has helped me in my journey. Because I came to a point with this whole gay thing where I had to realize no matter what, 
I am justified by faith. And the enemy would come to me and say, you're not good enough. Get out of that church. You're not good enough. Whatever it might be, these constant accusations. And I had to stand with the word of God and say, I'm justified by faith. I'm fabulous, made glorious. Get out of my life, enemy. And to give that authority, I had to give and die to my sexuality. And when that death to yourself meets with the power of the word of God, it crushes the enemy's head. And that's what he happened in my life. And I was freed. I was like, you know what? I'm justified by faith. I'm not under the law. I'm free. It's so amazing. And that's not a license to sin. But my gosh, it's awesome. It's an amazing truth, church, that has been the fundamental thing in my life. So I'm going to preach to you about faith as the anchor. Faith is the path to our new creation identity. So I got to this point. I was in church. Everyone's hallelujah, praise God. I'm there like, Lord, what do I do with my sexuality? Like all these people here are looking at me. They all know I'm gay. And like, what do I do? Like, I don't belong here with these people. Like they're, say, they're hating on gay people. They're saying we need to like politically come against them. And they're doing all of this. And I'm there like, <gasps> and things, you know, the pastor would say things. I was like, you can't say that. That's anti-gay. That's anti-feminist. No, uh-uh. And my aunt's like, shut up. <laughs> and I just had to hold on to Jesus. But every time I came to that church, the presence of God was there. The touch of God, which pulled me out of myself towards the horizon of faith. And I had to hold on to Jesus. And I had this vision where I saw this, basically got to this point where I saw a cliff you know, I'd kind of just been walking with God through his presence and he started to take his presence away. I'm like, Lord, don't do that. I want to feel your presence. He said, now I want you to trust me with everything. I had to die. And I saw this ravine, darkness with nothing, kind of like the Lord of the Rings, you know? See that kind of scene where there's this deep abyss called Hades, right? Death. And God asked me to step out on nothing. Like, God, I'm not going to step over a cliff face. Like, are you crazy? It's like, step. Step and trust me. So I step out. I'm standing on the hand of God. There is nothing. I don't understand. I don't understand how to be in church, God. I don't understand why I'm gay. Like, why is this so hard? Am I never going to get married? Am I never going to have kids? Am I never going to have the normal life that everyone else has, and I'm always going to be secondhand goods. Trust me. Step again. And again, and again, and again, and trust, trust, trust. Faith, faith, faith. Evidence-based trust in the character of God. And I stepped, and I stepped, and I stepped, and I got to the other side. And then God said to me, I'm putting a sword in your hand to bash a way through the shrub where there is no way. I'm making a way for the gay community where there is no way because we had put everything in the way for the gay community to come into the kingdom of God. There was this shrub of gossip and cursing and judgment and rejection. And God gave me his word and said, I want you to make a way where there is no way. And so I got to a point 
And I was exhausted and I was like, God, church is too hard. People don't understand me. Like these people coming to preach and saying they've been healed, but then they actually haven't. When you find out in the background, they've still got same-sex attractions. And God, it's all so hard. I don't understand. And he says, look up. And I look up and there is the city of God. And he said, David, thousands of people will come to faith through you and go to that heavenly city, just hold on. Faith. And God has accomplished that word in my life. I travel internationally now and speak on this, and I've seen thousands of gay people and beyond, single ladies, people with bodily difficulties, all sorts of things coming deeper in, and just everyday people coming to know Jesus more deeply. So, I felt like Abraham. You know, we all have this moment where God says, look up and see the stars. That's your inheritance. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours. It's another step out in faith to see the inheritance. This happens to Abraham, but then he's like, Lord, I have a sterile wife. Lord, my body is not attracted to women. How is this going to work? And what happens? Genesis 15, 6, Then God declared, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Then Paul picks this up later and says, This is the faith that the Gentiles have received. Faith from faith. The people of God will live from faith to faith. This is the gospel. Now, I'm sitting in a cafe in Oxford with my latte and my close friend, Antonio Freshwater Edwards, who's rather posh. So, oh, David, I would like you to teach me the Bible, who's become a new Christian. And so I'm teaching her about Genesis. I'm like, this is the faith. This is the way through the wilderness. This is where you just got to hold on to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit says, mm, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I was like, what? Lord, I'm trying to teach the Bible. Mm, no, David, you don't know what you're talking about. I was like, excuse me, Antonio Freshwater Edwards, I'll be right back. Go into the bathroom. The Holy Spirit reveals to me in this passage, he says, it's not what you think it is. I want you to go home and look up the word believe or faith in Hebrew, and I want you to study it. So I go home, and on my way home, I see this image of an old man with a tent peg in his hand, and he's hammering the tent peg into the ground. I'm like, Holy Spirit, what does this have to do with the price of eggs? I was just trying to give someone a Bible study. Like, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? He says, I'm God. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry, Lord. <laughs> So I go home and I look up the Hebrew word for faith, which is aman. Does anyone know what aman might mean in Hebrew? The Hebrew people were a tent-dwelling people. And the Hebrew people would look for a tent peg, a place where they could put a tent peg that would be so firm that no matter the storm that would come, it would not move. It was steadfast and never falter. And they could build their whole society if there was just one tent peg that would not move. And the quality of a tent peg that's steadfast in the ground, the word is originally 
Aman, will not be moved. But what do we know about Abraham? His faith was terrible. He goes off and gets a concubine, tries to have a child with another woman, doesn't trust God's promises. And the Holy Spirit was so wise with me. He says, look up Isaiah 22. So I look up Isaiah 22, reading through, nothing about ten pegs, nothing about anything that I've been thinking about or that he's put in my mind. And then he said, did you read to the end of the passage? No, Lord. Trust me, fine. (laughs) So I get to the end, right at the end of Isaiah 22. What does it say? Isaiah 22, 23 to 25. I will drive him like a peg, tent peg, into a firm place. He will be a seat of honour for the house of his father, and they will hang on him the whole honour of his father's house, the offspring and issue, every small vessel from the cups to all the flagons. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the tent peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way and it will be cut down and fall and the load that was on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. I'm there in my room and suddenly the cross of Jesus Christ flashes up in my mind and I see the father taking his only son and hammering him into the ground. The nails going in to his hands. That was the faith that allowed Abraham's faith to be credited to him for righteousness. Church, it's not about our faith. It is about our faith. But secondarily, it's the faith of Jesus Christ that has saved us that he has perfected in us faith from faith, from faith, gay, straight, black, white, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, whatever identity label we put on it. it Faith has made us righteous with him. It's a free gift from heaven. And I had to discover this as a gay or same-sex attracted person. It unlocked the love of God in my heart because he didn't love me conditionally. He loved me unconditionally. And that became the anchor of my identity so that I could take my gay identity and place it under the Lordship of Christ and dedicate my life to him in celibacy. So I go to work the next day. And my colleagues there, I was like, I hate reading the Old Testament. It's so violent. I mean, and you know when that lady, Yael in Judges, takes that tent peg and she just gets a hammer and she just hammers it through the head of the enemy? I'm like, oh, Revelation, tent peg. (laughs) I'm like, that's an amazing verse. And she's like, what do you mean? It's so violent and horrible. Why would you do that to someone? You know, she just was not not on the same page. The Holy Spirit revealed to me in that moment, Yael, This insignificant kind of tent-dwelling woman that no one ever would think would be a hero becomes the hero. And she takes that tent peg of faith and she rams it straight through the head of the enemy and crushes his power. If she didn't do that, the Messiah of Jesus never would have come and Israel would have been destroyed. So your tent peg of faith, when you take that and you hammer it into the ground and you say, God, I'm going to trust no matter what I am going to believe you. 
and I'm weak, and I can't do it, and I know I'll fail, but I don't care. My anchor holds within the veil. I will not be moved. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what labels they put on me. I don't care how they reduce me into some cruel category. I am your child, and you are my identity, and I have received the gift of faith. Zechariah 10.4 Out of Judah shall come the cornerstone, out from him the true tent peg. It's everywhere, church. I'm walking in the street and the Holy Spirit shows up and he says, David, what was Paul's profession? You know the Apostle Paul? He was a tent maker. I just love these things. And I'm like, oh, that's a good Holy Spirit. And then he's like, and what did he preach? Like, faith, tent peg, it's everywhere. What did you have to put around the tabernacle so that it would be held up, that God's presence would stay with the people of Israel? Tent pegs all around. Church, that's the kind of faith that I had to receive to overcome my struggle with identity. And I still am attracted to the same sex. I still struggle, but I have chosen to have a man faith. And whatever it might be, it might be your child is far from God. It might be that you're struggling with finances. It might be that you have an illness. Do you know what? The place the nails were placed in Jesus's body, that's the place that the glory of God shines out of. It's not your strength. It's your weakness. And so you can get excited because he's going to manifest glory in those weaknesses. He's manifesting glory through my brokenness in front of you right now. And that is just the amazing God we serve. So I'm sitting there doing my Oxford studies. Lovely. And I've got all my theory, you know, Pauline literature readings, and I have to look at what faith means in Paul's letters. And I get to this curious phrase, pistis Jesu Christu. Can you say that? Pistis Jesu Christu. Pistis Jesu Christu. <laughs> okay, church, so what does this mean? It means, in Greek, it can mean two things. And I think this is why Paul used it so often. It can either mean the faith of Jesus Christ or faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. And what God has hidden in this little Greek phrase is the secret of ages, that it's a Jesus's faith that assures our faith even when we fail, even when we run a million miles from the Father he sees us. We return to him for the wrong reasons, all of us, just to get a job, just to, so I can kind of survive in life, God, I'm back. And then he embraces us. And that's the faith upon which the whole universe holds. It's the tent peg upon which the whole cosmos 
is assured and steadfast. It's the center of all things. It's the love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the tent peg of faith that renews the whole creation and gives us a new identity in Jesus Christ. But church, it's not about erasing these struggles. It's not about a quick fix, although there are breakthroughs. Hallelujah. It's about walking faithfully and trusting God, even when things don't change. Because, you know, I can see a healing. I've seen people like, you know, set free from demons. I've seen incredible miracles in my life. But my faith ultimately doesn't lie in that, as wonderful as those things are. My faith lies in the beauty of the character of Jesus Christ. And that when I see that beauty, I say, God, you are so worthy. You are so worthy of my whole body, my whole life. I give it to you. I lay it down, even my homosexuality. And I'm going to be willing, as much of a hopeless romantic as I am, to live without that if you require it. And look, I have many friends who actually are also same-sex attracted or gay, and they've ended up being given the grace to have a wife or husband. And so it's not just celibacy. Some people receive, but you know what? I've discovered something deeper, that actually I would prefer to be celibate. Do you know why? Because the worship I give to Jesus by being celibate is so beautiful. I will never be able to, for all eternity to give that to him. Because I won't have to trust him when I see him in glory and I see the new creation. But when I trust him in this current estate, the glory that that gives him, the preciousness that that is, that I would trust him and give him that, it's a beautiful exchange. And so what I really want to encourage you in, church, is your worship life, your faith life, that please go deeper. Because, you know, people ask me, what do I need to do to love the gay community? And I say, look, there's so many things. Be like Jesus, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> and don't condemn, because then you'll be judged. Um, the other thing is, when it says in Revelation, be hot or cold or I'll spit you out of my mouth. When the gay community comes into church and they see lots of other people not giving up everything for Jesus and just living this kind of lukewarm Christian life, not going to the poor, not giving everything, judging people in the supermarket that aren't like them, being religious and pietistic, but no heart of love. It is a smell to God that is rank in his nostrils. It's worse than licentiousness and sin of that kind. It is a sin itself. We have to be so careful, church, that we receive this grace with fear and trembling. And so when we're in the supermarket or we're at work and we meet a gay or lesbian colleague, we get excited because we see the place that the glory of God is going to manifest in the world. We get excited and we say, awesome, have you experienced the love of God? I know this is going to be hard, but it's been hard for me. I'm hot. I've given everything. You can give everything too once you discover the beauty of Jesus. And I think for the gay community to feel like they can come into church, they need to discover a church that's willing to give up everything for Jesus and to love not their lives as to shrink from death. Church, I have a colleague called Hassan in Nigeria. 
and he has a bounty on his head from Boko Haram. I was standing next to him and I was petrified releasing this book because I was like, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to attack me from left to right. And I'm trying to stand in that third radical way of Jesus that goes beyond all the bickering and all the hatred. And I was petrified. <laughs> I was afraid. But I was standing next to Hassan John, who goes back to Nigeria. Every day, risks his life. I said, this is nothing. A bit of sexuality. And there is the global church being persecuted for their faith and suffering in the most horrendous ways you could ever imagine. And we're worried about giving up our sexuality. Church, we have got to go deeper. Church, this question is calling us deeper into Jesus Christ than we've ever gone. And you know what's going to happen when we go that deep and we sacrifice our idols and we're no longer lukewarm? Do you know what's going to happen? There's going to be revival. There is going to be an incredible revival that no one is going to be able to stop. But when we come with our false religion and we come with our judgments and our preconceptions and our false theories and our, you know, Job, like, this is why this is happening to you. We build a barrier to the presence of God. We stop the river, as it says in Ezekiel 47, that's coming out of the temple from filling this creation. And we get in the way. And so as the church, we need to step out of the way and let God come and touch those that think themselves outside the kingdom of God. What was so amazing for me as I came into the church and got embraced by the Father and received this new identity, what was so amazing is I just realized, like, this is what the gospel's all about. It's about orphans coming home. It's about people being delivered from self-rejection. And that I have been given this baton. That the first apostle of faith was a serial killer of Christians. What faith do we have, church? It's so amazing. It transforms even Paul, even David Bennett, even you, a sinner like everyone else in this room. But you know what? I also learned that it wasn't, the thing that changed me so deeply was the fact that I was also delivered from self-rejection. And Colin and I were talking about this, that at the heart of sin is the voice that says, but I'm too dirty, I'm too broken, I'm too sinful for you to love me. And when I discovered I was gay, I heard my uncles making homophobic comments about gay people, and I thought, that's me. God hates me. He could never love me. And that was actually the center of my sin. It wasn't just desires. It was that I felt rejected. And it was only when I met Jesus in that pub that I was delivered from self-rejection. So you might be sitting here and saying, well, that's great, David. That's pretty radical. But what about... <laughs> What's the good news for LGBTQI, same-sex attracted, whatever term, people? What's the good news for single women that never get married or single men that never get married? As you know, church, we've really made marriage into an idol. We've lifted it up and said, if you're not married, you can't minister, you're not trustworthy, and you're used goods. And that is not biblical. It is idolatrous. 
And so the gay community said, well, you're going to lift up marriage, and if you, you, I'm going to take that off you. I'm going to take that idol off you. Instead of lifting up God and <laughs> worshipping him and saying, why don't you get to know him? It's not about marriage. It's secondary. You can have a wonderful, flourishing life without getting married. You're free. You're whole. You're 100% whole in Jesus. And what a better place to get married from than thinking you're not. And in Corinthians 1, 7, the Corinthians were a very broken church. They were burning in lust. And we've made that the standard of our holiness. No, this was a very broken church. So Paul says, okay, if you have to get married, like it's better that you get married, but it's better that you don't burn in lust and that you become whole as a single person, even before you get married. So we have to learn, church, to break the idols, the identities that we attach ourselves to above God, and we have to break them at the feet of Jesus. And I think that's why Jesus loved the woman with the vial of oil, when he, the alabaster box, when she took her idol, the thing that protected her and gave her some sense of identity, and she broke it onto his feet. And this oil just comes on him, and it becomes the burial oil for the cross. It becomes the balm that says, okay, I can die for this humanity. The beautiful exchange that I have learned through my walk with my sexuality, that is the deepest intimacy that we could ever experience. And it's available for all of us if we just trust God's goodness. So in Isaiah 56, there's a passage I just want to finish with. We've got 10 minutes. So if you open up your Bibles, and this is 600 years before Jesus comes, the prophet Isaiah has a vision and he sees the foreigners, the Gentiles, the unclean masses of people are actually going to be brought into God's kingdom. And then he sees this other group that aren't allowed to enter the temple because they're unclean. They're called eunuchs. So you might have read that in the Bible. And eunuchs were people who were either born with ambiguous genitalia or maybe a sexuality that wasn't, you know, towards marriage between a man and a woman or, you know, all sorts of things that we all struggle with. Eunuchs were those people who didn't fit in that category. And I love this verse because it's 600 years before Jesus. It's Yahweh speaking to his people with the radical good news of the gospel. And he says, let not the eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. I'm never going to have kids, I'll be single my whole life. I'm not going to have a partner, I'm not going to have romance, I'm not going to have this life that is sold to me every day in this society at infinitum. He says, don't let the eunuch say that. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, hold fast faith. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, a name me an identity. Better than having kids, better than having sons and daughters, even better than marriage. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. That is the promise for people that maybe don't fit in the box of church. That is the promise that God has given to people who have different embodiments and that trust him through it, because it's not easy. 
And you know what? In Isaiah 53, it says, who has heard of his generation? And this is speaking of Jesus. And what that means in the Hebrew is who has seen his children? He has no kids. He's a failed Jewish man. Where is his family? Where is his wife? Because if you were a rabbi, you would have a wife and kids. If you didn't, you were strange because you want to obey the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. But church, Jesus became a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven and died at the age of 33. So what a sacred calling it is to give yourself over in sacrificial celibacy to Jesus. What an amazing intimacy can be experienced between him and you through that difficulty and into victory through the Holy Spirit. And so just, I want to get you excited about the good news that God has for all people, LGBTQI slash same-sex attracted, whatever words we use. He has good news. He has a name better than sons and daughters. And so today, I want to invite you in your own, maybe in the last songs of worship, to say, God, you know, I have idols in my life that I'm not giving to you. I have things that I'm holding back. I'm not really living in that Amman faith. Lord, I want my heart to be so rooted. I want that tent peg of myself to go so deep into you, Jesus, to trust you and never be moved. Or you might be someone who struggles with same-sex attraction or has some other struggle in your life. And you might want to say, God, I'm going to give that to you and I'm going to trust you with it because you are good. Or you might never have known the love of Jesus. And I want to invite you to just say, God, I don't understand all of this, but I'm willing to trust you and I know you're good. Look at how you've worked in David's life. You do love gay people. You love all people. So I want to also just invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with a heart for the communities in this city that maybe you think it's impossible to reach. And I want us to really press into God's heart for the orphan for the one that doesn't know him. And to really, I would love KT to be a church where I could see so many people from that community coming in the future, welcomed and loved and led into a life of faith, holiness and victory in Jesus. So I'm just gonna finish with a short prayer and then I'll hand over to Colin. Lord God, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you for this church. I pray that this church will be a place where the foreigner, the eunuch, the people that seem on the outskirts, Lord, that they could be brought in to your most holy presence and embraced and known and loved by you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.